My name is Jim Zielinski, and I live in Nashville. I pastored in this area for about 10 years, and I love this area. I still come up here a lot. With I work for a nonprofit called Gifts of Love International. It's goalie.org. And I work in Haiti, and I work in Guatemala. I've served in Guatemala for quite a few years, and I pastored for a lot of years. And um, I just love being around here. You know, when I was growing up, I had family in St. Louis, and I would do the ARC, and I would do... Cardinals games, and I, I went to, for the older people, uh, like myself, I did the Admiral. How many people remember the Admiral? Yeah, yeah. A couple people like, oh, yeah. And um, I still come here for work, but just to let you know, um, I didn't grow up in the church. I feel like I'm a little hot. I didn't grow up in the church, and church was kind of a foreign thing to me. My dad was Catholic, and he was not a practicing Catholic. My mom was Methodist. I didn't you know, ever really go to church that I remembered growing up. And um, when I was in my teen years, I had an encounter with God that was very real at a Bible study. And I went to this Bible study. I got touched by God. It was very real. It was very authentic. And I kind of, I, I sort of served God, for, well, I served God passionately for about six months. But I was, I think I was in the sixth grade transitioning into the seventh grade. And my parents uh, didn't go to church and the Bible study ended, and then I was kind of left, you know, without a place like this to fellowship. Uh, I was left kind of on my own, and I didn't really have any community or structure, and so for quite a few years, I just went the way of all flesh, to be real honest. You know, I did, I did a lot of bad things growing up as a teenager. I lived in the suburbs, but I just got into a lot of trouble. And in my 20s, I moved away and moved to Denver, Colorado, and I was visiting home in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was not there to, I, I was there really for the wrong reasons. I, I was going to college, taking a course in college and engineering, but I was, you know, just having fun and doing dumb things. And I met this Christian friend of mine in a Shoney's restaurant. And um, what's, what's crazy about this is, I encountered God then in my 20s, but for quite a few years, for like seven years, I would go to churches because I got convicted, but I would go in and I'd say, hey, I need some help. I need some, I need some guidance. And uh, this isn't a criticism. This is just my experience, okay? They would, that no one led me to the Lord. I probably did this seven to 10 times over seven years. And there was a period I did this a lot, you know, like I was, because I was convicted. I knew I needed to do something. I just didn't know what to do. Because I had zero understanding of the Bible, zero understanding of church. And I probably scared people when I was younger, particularly when I walked in. Because I probably looked, I had long hair and a beard. And, you know, I just probably looked, didn't look like, you know, I didn't fit in. Let's just put it that way. And I could tell, and I tried to fit in, I just couldn't fit in. And so for years, I was, you know, struggling, like trying to figure this stuff out. And um, finally... Uh, like one, I'll just give you one example. This may be too much detail, but I, I turned 60 last year, and I just kind of start caring anymore. I just, whatever, I just tell people. But I was on my way to Mardi Gras as a teenager one time to party. Let me just be clear. I was going to party, and I got convicted, got worried about going to Mardi Gras, started hearing crazy stories about Mardi Gras. So I went in and talked to a pastor, and the pastor, you know, I was telling him all this story and pouring my heart out, and he goes, and again, I'm not trying to judge him, I'm just saying like this, he was operating in the revelation that he had. So it's, I'm not blaming the church or him, I'm just saying my experience. He said, he comes up to me and he goes, just stay on the path you are, young man, you're gonna be great. And I was like, no, I'm not gonna be great. The path I'm on is not good. You know, like I'm trying to get help. 
But see, this is an example of why um, I think it's, it's important to build the church. And that's what I'm going to talk to you this morning about, is building the church. I became a Christian in a Shoney's restaurant. And um, my life was transformed and completely wrecked after that time. And I've been serving Jesus ever since. I didn't plan to be in ministry. It seemed the most unlikely thing in the world at the time and even later. But, uh, you know, that's what God called me to, to do. So um, that's what I want to talk to you today about is about building God's church. So everybody is building something. Let me ask you something. If I push up into this area where I'm not in the lights, is that going to mess up the anything? Because I can't see some of you and I want to see you. I want to see. Oh, yeah, that's much better. All the live stream people and the camera people are going, no, no. Well, sorry, I'm new. I'm new. Here's the thing. Everybody is building something in life. Everybody. You're either, you're maybe building a business. Uh, if you're an educate, if you're a student, you're building your education. You're planning for the future. You're building towards the future and for the future. If you're married, hopefully you're working on your marriage. You know, marriages are under attack these days and you know a lot of people have had challenges at some point in their life with marriage um and it doesn't matter because god's good and he helps us and uh you know we're if you have a family you're raising kids hopefully you're building your family if you're single and you are wanting a relationship and someday you're going to build a relationship with somebody um if you are in a relationship now that you're uh, considering getting married, you're, you're, build, you're building towards something. We are building towards something. You know, you may be building a house. Anybody ever built a house before from the ground up? Oh, one person. Yeah, a couple people there, yeah. That's a, that's a challenge. That's a, that's a thing. Um, if I could, could I have my volunteers come up? I brought a few hookers to church today. Um, a couple hookers come on up. Yeah, no, I, they don't need explaining. These are a couple hookers. No, no, do it over here. I don't want you, I don't want you in my way. Um, these are some friends of mine. It's uh, Eli and Jack Hooker is their name. Uh, their, their father owns Hooker Construction Company, and uh, he, they build churches and do a lot of things, and they're good friends of mine. And uh, they told me they were coming this morning, so since they're coming, I'm punishing them by making them do the example. I need you to build something really awesome out of the Duplos. I know this is throwing you back. It's awful small, but, you know, I'm not trying to criticize. I'm just saying. But we're all building something. Years ago, I remember um, I, I clicked on a Twitter link that was about building... Yeah, I lost everybody already, but we'll get back to that in a minute. But I was, I was going through Twitter. I know Twitter's a little old school now, but I remember clicking on Twitter right before I was going up to preach. And as soon as I clicked on the link, and I'm fairly tech savvy, but the dreaded link come up, came up because it, what it said is this guy said, what is your Twitter account worth? And this guy that had so many followers said his account was worth like, I don't know, two or $3,000. And of course, my curiosity at the time was like, oh, I wonder what mine's worth. So I clicked the link, and of course, it sends a link to all my followers and friends. And I'm just like, no, no, no. So I'm trying to delete it and pull it back. But, you know, some people are building their social media platform. You know, they're trying to like build that up in some way. But here's what Jesus is building. Matthew 16, 15 says, but what about you? This is, um, Jesus was talking to his disciples and everybody was saying, he might be a prophet, he might be a man, he might be this, he might be that. 
And so Jesus asked the people who were closest to him, he says, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Is that it? That's it. <laughs> okay, what is it? It's a little tower. That's pretty good. No, I like it, it's good. And so he says, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is it. This is what Jesus is about. He's building his church. And some, there's a lot of different understandings of what the church is, and it could have different translations. But the basics of what the church is, if you could put the slide up, uh, slide two, is this church is simply the people of God. It's simply the people of God. So that's what it is. So it's not a building. Many of you may know this, and forgive me if you already do, but it's not a building. It's not an organization. It can be represented in that. But from the New Testament, it is actually the people of God. So we as people are the church. There can be structures and organizations and all those things, but that is really um, it's important to know. It's people of a local church. And then there's the universal church. There's other churches in this city that are meeting this morning. We're actually connected to them. It's the same body. I have a friend who pastors here. And every Sunday they pray for two churches. And they've prayed for this church before when I was there. And he's a great guy. And, um, you know, that he understands that. And we understand that as Christians that I'm connected to my brothers and sisters. But it's kind of like a family being in a house. You might have friends and family and relatives, but you have your own kind of house where you're responsible for certain things, and that's kind of how the church works. But we're connected to Christ, the head of his church, and it says that we are the body. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus only talked about the church two times in Scripture. And that's kind of hard to understand because you think, surely there's more. He actually preached on the kingdom of God, which is something that I often talk about because he talks so much about it. And it's a little broader, a little bigger than the church. But this morning I'm talking about the church. But he only talked about it two times. So if he only talked about it two times, what he said is really important. Now, other books of the Bible talk a lot about the church. But Jesus said two times. And this is one of the passages that he said about the church. So what he says here, I believe, is really, really important. And when Peter said that you're the Christ, you're the head of the church, you're the, the founder of the church, and it's Jesus who's building the church, um, you know, Peter sometimes said dumb things. You know, there was a couple of times he just said really dumb things, and Jesus had to kind of rebuke him and, you know, correct him and say, yeah, that's way off, Peter. But this time he said, Peter, you got it right. You're right. This is the church that I'm building, and I'm the head of this church, and I'm building it. And not only am I building it, but it's going to succeed. And so Jesus is building his church. It's his body. It's his temple. It's his family. And you have a great local church here already at One Seed Church. I already can see that. I already feel comfortable. I already feel at home being here with the people of God this morning. And the great thing is, is sometimes as leaders or pastors or whatever, we want to do the best we can 
to build God's church. But in the end, we have to kind of go back to the scripture to say, Jesus is the head of his church and he's actually building it. And if we'll follow him as closely as we can, a lot of other things come naturally or other, other things work out. And, um, you know, we, so we had this, these people come up and build this church. I appreciate them building the tower. And, um, you know, it's like what Jesus is doing. He's building blocks together, which is us, joined together, people to, together, and we'll talk about that later. And in Romans 8.32, it says that it's an overcoming church or we're an overcoming people. And here's the thing. For 2,000 years, the church existed. Well, after I became a Christian, I kind of began to study a little church history because I had no clue. I was like, How was I, why do we have all these churches? Why do we have these different doctrines? Whatever. And I began to study it. And my mentor, the man who discipled me, was a church historian. So I, I had a pretty good, it made more sense at some point. But one of the things that I found interesting is over time, people have tried to mess it up. You know, I mean, it's, it's just human nature. Sometimes people have made mistakes in the church and even building the church. But here's the beautiful thing. 2,023 years later, the church still exists. Amen? Amen. That's it. You are here because Jesus died. And by faith, you've been connected to a local church. You're, you're connected people. You are connected to Jesus, and he's probably transferred your, transformed your life if you're a believer. And honestly, when you look through church history, the church may seem pretty messed up. And there are people that make mistakes, but it's doing pretty good today. Like, if you look at the things we believe just as a, you know, uh, evangelical truth, we're all pretty well agreed on a lot of things. It might look like we're different. We have some different practices and some different thoughts about how to do things. But Jesus left that a little bit vague, to be honest, I think, because each representation, it's kind of like in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, it says, you know, the hand's not going to be like the foot, the eye's not going to be like that. There's going to be some diversity and some differences in each local church and each body. That's a healthy and good thing, I believe, in God's eyes and in for society. So, but you know, Jesus is building the church, and yet there's people who come along and they look at the church, and they don't see a beautiful tower you know, like this, they come along and they, they saw somebody build the church. Wait a second. There's not, these, it's crooked. Your dad's a construction guy. He would be, I got to take a picture of this. Oh, man, sorry. A little breaking thing. I'm going to show his parents. They have to do better. Excellence. Teach on excellence of the kingdom later. No, I'm just messing with you. This is why I had them do it because it's a lot more fun to pick on them than some stranger I don't know. So I would have been... But, you know, he is building his church, but sometimes people come along and they just go, huh, that's really dumb. I really don't like the way they're doing things. I don't like the way they built it. And frankly, you know, I'm just going to tear that down and shoddy construction and destroy what God is trying to build. And for whatever reason, we do that sometimes. You know, we, we look at it and we say, um, man, I, I don't like it. And what happens is sometimes in churches, churches have people in them because the people are actually the church. And I don't know about you. I grew up in a family. My brother and I would sometimes fight. We do. I know these, these people. By the way, Julia Hooker, Jack Hooker, and Elijah Hooker. Thank you for coming and being my fan club this morning. I love that you're here. Thank you for building the church. But uh, we appreciate you. 
But they probably don't fight often, but they have fought. I could tell a few stories because I've known them since they were little kids. But you do that. But in a normal family, you typically work it out. And there's probably somebody here that always is like, I don't talk to my brother and I haven't talked to him. That's another sermon, another day. We'll, you know, work on the whole forgiveness thing. I know people, you know, we have to, that's a constant thing. Jesus forgave us and we forgive others and all that. But generally, we want to build people up. We want to build the church, which is people, which is what Jesus is doing. He didn't just save us to kind of come to church on Sundays for two hours and worship. That's all good. But he wants us to be in this building project with him. And that's the good thing. The great thing is that he's been doing it a long time and it's actually succeeded because it says here, I will build my church in the gates of hell. The gates of Hades will not prevail. There's no plan B. There's not going to be another way, another system. It's up to us, his people, his body, his church, to do the best we can at building up the church. And that, that's something, sometimes that can be a lot of pressure, but it's, it's us, and we're building with him. Slide five says, we are building with him. First Corinthians 3, 9 is a reference. It says that we are co-laborers working together with Jesus to build his church. That you're God's field and you're God's building. Um, we are the building materials also. Ephesians 2, 19 and 22. It says, uh, consequently, you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also the members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the head. Uh, hold on. The foundation of I got confused here. Himself, the chief cornerstone in him, Jesus, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God's spirit lives or where God lives by his spirit. Here's the thing. The Old Testament temple looked more like that. It was a you know, a building that he would visit from time to time. The New Testament temple is us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit that God's Spirit comes and live in. And when we join in together, here, stand up. We're joined up together. We're locked in like this. And it says that he's fitting us together, putting us in the right place at the right time to become a strong unit. So the great thing about us coming together as a church, when we're together, we should be stronger doesn't mean we won't have differences sometimes. It doesn't mean, but we are going to build together and be committed to each other like a family, like a unit to represent Jesus to the world. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. First Peter 2, 4, and 7, you don't have to put it up, but we're living stones by God being fitted together. So here's the thing. Here's the, the whole, the, one of the main points this morning is Sometimes it's not in our nature. I have, I have done that, like I did this morning before, to people, to the church, to organizations. It's not good. It's not healthy for me, and it's not healthy for us as a church to be hypercritical. Now, I'm not talking about if there's bad leadership or somebody's in sin or doing something wrong. I'm not saying, oh, just encourage them. They're okay. No, that's not it. Sometimes there's a time to say, that's not good, bro. 
And I need people in my life. I've got two or three people in my life that have been faithful over the years. You know, I think everybody, I'm pretty, I'm on this right now in my life for churches and people. It's like, we all need a couple people we can talk to, to say, man, I was going along pretty good. And then one day, I had these crazy things happen to me. And I've got, I know business leaders this happens to. I used to kind of have a discipleship group with business leaders in there. They got a lot of pressure on them. Pastors have this, individuals, marriages. Everybody needs somebody that's confidential. One of the things I would encourage is don't find somebody who talks a lot and has social media. Hey, I would just, I just want you to know, just pray for sister so-and-so. She's kind of going through a problem. You know, like, no, you don't want those guys. You just want to get a few close people you can trust that can build you up and strengthen you and strengthen the church. This is what Jesus is doing. He's building his church. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. And he's saying, man, I want you to join in with me to be a builder. Everybody say, be a builder. Be a builder. builder. And if you do this occasionally, just apologize and build it back to help, you know. One of my favorite builders in history is a guy named Nehemiah, and he was in the Old Testament, and he was a builder. And there's three books in the Bible that are called the Restoration Books. I noticed we're talking about restoration and worship this morning. I love that subject because it's, it talks about things that are broken, and he res- restores them. And in the Old Testament, he actually, if a thief was caught stealing from somebody, the thief had to bring back what he stole and he had to make restitution he had to add like 20 percent to it and give him back more so it's one of those promises you can kind of go to god like man i got this been stolen from me i want i'm asking you to restore this back in my relationship my finances whatever it's principle of restoration ezra esther and nehemiah are three restoration books it's after a period that israel went into captivity because they had been disobedient to god they had bad things happen to them And they were about to come out of this time of captivity. And Nehemiah, the whole book, it's a great book. It's a book of restoration. And there's kind of a picture of restoration. So he, at that time, was the cupbearer to the king. So this is in chapter uh, verse 1, chapter 1 of Nehemiah. You don't have to put that up yet, the scripture yet. But um, I'm just giving a little backdrop to it. So he's there in the presence of the king. And he had... By all intents and purposes, if you've got to go to jail and you've got to be in captivity and you're going to be prisoner, not a bad thing to be the wine taster or the, you know, food taster for the king because you're living in the king's palace, okay? You get, you're living in, you're not really in a jail cell and you might even have a relationship with the king because every day before he drank whatever he drank, whether it's water or wine or food, it was like, here, you go first, and if you live, then I'll drink it. So there was a high risk in this job, because if somebody wanted to poison the king, it'd be like, oh, he died. Well, we need somebody else for that job. Can I get somebody else? And by the way, investigate who poisoned the food. So that was his job. And, it's, and so he had a, really by all intents and purposes, he had a cushy job. He had a good gig in captivity compared to a lot of people. And they were kind of coming out of captivity and they were restoring Jerusalem. And so he gets this report from Jerusalem because he's kind of worried. It's like you have relatives in another state that a tornado happened or whatever. You, you kind of like, how's it going down there, you know? Or what's, it, what's happening down there? And that's what he was asking. And then um, 
Here's the scripture, verse 3, when he was asking about the exiles, he said, Nehemiah 1, verse 3, he said, They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, and they are in great trouble and disgrace, much like the church can be at times. You know, sometimes it doesn't look good. You know, it's like the people of God were in trouble. He says, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and his gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. He wept for some days and I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Isn't this a great response rather than tearing down, rather than saying, well, I mean, honestly, he could have been justified in saying, well, that's what you get for rebelling against God as you... You got punishment and you should be, because they were living in a refugee camp, basically. And he was like, this isn't right. This is the people of God. I can't take this. I got to help. I got to do something. So the first thing he does is he weeps and he prays for day. He fasts. He starts spiritually like, I got to get a download from heaven. That's basically what he was doing. And what's amazing, and I wish I could teach on the whole thing, but I'm going to give you the the short version, the comic book version, the, the cliff note version, is he was sad in front of the king. So when he comes up, and obviously he must have built a relationship, the king says, why are you sad? And he's like, well, I got this report. My friends and my, the, my people are not in good shape in the providence of Jerusalem. They're living in squalor. It's terrible. Now listen, if you're sad in the king's presence, that's that could be a death, death sentence. It could be instantly like, you, you cannot make, you can't bum the king, don't bum the king out. You know, like that's the, that's the one big rule when you serve in the king's court. Don't bum the king out. And so they were, he was sad. And so he's like, why are you sad? So they obviously had this relationship. And I would encourage you to read the next four or five chapters because it's a fantastic story, but it's just powerful about building. It's powerful about building the church because it's this whole restoration theme that's going on. It's pretty simple to read and, and pretty straightforward. And he's like, well, this is the case. And King's like, what can I do for you? And it's a, it's a representation of our King Jesus in heaven. It's a type and picture of it. And he goes, well, what I really need is like a million dollars. I need an army and I need permission. And I need this. And King's like, awesome. It's yours. Go for it. And you, you, if you don't know that, you just skip right over. But it's like, Really? Yeah, and you can have a leave of absence and you can go do that. But this is the thing I love about Nehemiah is he didn't have to do this. And then he makes this master plan. He makes this master plan to rebuild the church, to build a church. He was cushy in his own job and he could have just gone, yeah, I'll pray for him. God bless you, brothers sisters, but he got out there in the trenches with them, and they, the first thing they did is they built a wall because they wanted to protect the people of God, and the whole point was so that they could worship again. The book of Ezra is all about the rest restoration of the temple, which restored worship, but they had to do the wall, so Nehemiah's building this wall, and while they are building the wall, they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, so they were building and fighting, building and fighting, and that's what the church does. We do spiritual warfare. We get attacked mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We get attacked and we think, oh, why are we doing this? I, church doesn't work for me. I tried it once. No, it works. It, it takes some work, but it does work. And, you know, they, they were uh, attacked. Some of you know the story. There's a guy named Sam Bell and Tobias, and they came, 
and they came attacking him. And he knew what's great about Nehemiah, he's a good leader, and he knew. So he had permission. They said, You had permission to be here. You're not supposed to be here. You don't have a building permit. You're not, you, you ran away, you're a runaway slave, you know, whatever. And he pulls out the papers and says, Nope, supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be rebuilding. The king, King Jesus, gave us permission to build. He gave me permission to build this place. He's given you permission to build. Build yourself up in the Holy Spirit. Build others up in God. You know what I'm saying? Like encourage each other. That's part of what we do is build in the church, to be a builder. Everybody say it one more time. Be a builder. builder. One of the great things I love, I love, one of my funny little sidebars of this is, you know, they're, they're giving their case. They said, Sambal and Tobias said this, and Gershom says it's true. There's some guy like, who's Gershom? I know this. Gershom's definitely on social media. You know, he's definitely, I, I, wanna, I thought about starting that and doing a brand, you know, in defense of God's church. You know, Gershom, I don't even know who he is, and we, he doesn't know anything. He knows nothing. He's, he's a loser. No. Um, you don't want to put that in. You don't want to start fighting on social media. But there's, there's always going to be those people who don't like the building or don't, they don't know it, but they're opposition and enemies of God, but not inside the church, outside. And one of the things I really love about Nehemiah is he kind of was like us. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a king or a priest. He wasn't a Bible teacher. He was a civil servant. He basically was a government worker that just doing his job, and he took a leave of absence because he wanted to go out there. And I just want to thank everybody who serves in this church right now because, you know, we had great worship this morning. We have children's ministry. We have things that you're built. You're obviously building. I love this because it's just raw. I've planted churches before, and I've done this, you know, so it's like I'm having deja vu in a good and bad ways. As I come in, it's like, oh, so much work. But it's fun and rewarding and fulfilling. And think of the families that will be touched because here's the thing. I felt this so strongly as I was coming to prayer. I wasn't planning to tell my little story at the beginning, but I thought about it because of something that happened last night and this week. I thought, you know, if I would have walked in this church when I was a teenager looking for God, I would have probably been okay. You know what I mean? Because I've just kind of met some regular people and they were friendly to me. And, you know, I know I'm the guest speaker and people tend to be friendly to the guest speaker. But you know what? There are people. I was at a church last night in South County, a friend of uh, Pastor Jeff, Dan Lord at Grace Life Chapel, and there's like 25 people got baptized, you know, and the church has been around 40 years, so they've got, you know, kind of a head start and all that, but I thought a lot of the people who were getting baptized had just become Christians. There's so many people out there that are hungry, kind of like I was for seven years looking for God and just not sure how to do it because it's, it's a little confusing at times, you know, and you have that opportunity to be that kind of church. You have that opportunity to be on kind of the ground floor of being a healthy, life-giving church. And there are others in this area. I'm not saying like, you know, like, hey, we're elitist or anything. And I'm not saying it to be critical. But this is something that you have the opportunity, and it's worth it. It's worth the time and effort and the service to come alongside Pastor Jeff and and to to be a builder, you know. Um, I don't know if I said this, I think it was in my notes somewhere, but I, I just had this thought last night. It's like, I love people like Nehemiah and Pastor Jeff because I, I don't know I don't know him real well. We've had meetings here and talked about church stuff. 
but he probably doesn't need to be doing this. Like he has a, I think he has a business and it's a thriving business. And he, this is like, you know, he, he could probably put his money somewhere else rather than renting a building. He could probably use his time. You know what I mean? Like this is a lot of work and he cannot do it himself. I've actually been in his situation a couple times. And it's just such a joy for people to come alongside. And if you have advice, you know, don't come and just say, hey, you know, maybe we could fix and help this and I'll be glad to help. You know what I mean? That is building, supporting leadership and building. And you get the joy of being a part. Because here's the thing, you have a place to bring your family. Man, when I've seen kids grow up in church, again, I didn't go to church when I was a kid, but when I've seen families that, you know, grow up in church, um, like this particular family here, you know, they all love the Lord. They, they're doing great. There's no guarantees, you know. I mean, things happen to kids and whatever, but there's a better chance of them being, you know, like have, they'll at least have the seed of the Word of God that's so powerful. You can't, you put that seed in a kid, they can't escape it, man. They can, they can run. They can run like the prodigal son and be in there with the pigs. And one day they go, what am I doing? And they come back. And that's just how it works because God is good. But a church is worth building for your family. It's, a, it's worth it because we want to grow spiritually. We don't want to be stagnant. We want to bear fruit. We want to have discipleship and members that are growing, that are being mentored by people. We want to have community and family, accountability. And that may sound, uh, you know, harsh. You know, like, accountability, I'm an American. I can do what I want. You know, it's like, it's good to have people in your life. I have been so grateful for a handful of brave souls that said, Jim, do you know what? You're doing this, and you know what that makes you look like? What, an idiot? Man, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, everybody knows, but no one bothered to tell you because, you know, no, it's good when we have people who love you to come and just, you know, they're not doing it to beat you down. You know, you want to give like nine encouragements for one criticism, but if you have good friends and you're in a mentoring relationship, it's healthy for to do that. Do you just want to let your kids play in the street and play with the stove when they're three or four or five years old and get burned and catch on fire and catch the house on fire? No, you just, you might tell them, like, don't play with matches. There's adults that play with matches all the time around gasoline and gas pumps. And, you know, you try to say, hey, don't do that. It's going to blow up. Can't help. You just, but we all have a tendency to occasionally have time. And the final thing that I want to mention is that when we build, we build with eternity in mind. Now, this is almost a message in itself, but I just want to mention it because this is something that, Fortunately, God revealed to me when I was young, and that was, or when I became a Christian early, which is, this life is but a vapor, and we will all stand before God one day. And I remember thinking how scary that sounded at one point in my life, because it's like, oh man, I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account for what I've done with my life. And, um, you know, we don't have to put the scripture up, but in 1 Corinthians 3.10, it talks about what we build with. There's different materials. There's gold, silver, precious stones. It says that our work on this earth will be tested with fire. And things are a waste of time 
will be burnt up, wood, hay, straw, stubble. But, you know, things that last or eternal will remain. Now, I used to think this was really scary because it's like, you know, if you've been around church very much, you, you kind of think it was called the Bema Seat, the great white throne of judgment. I mean, does that sound good to anybody? Like, the great white throne of judgment. You just think, oh, my gosh, I want to just live terrified of the Lord. But biblically, it's not quite like that. So what happens is at the end of our life, we're either in Christ and we become a Christian, and we're going to give an opportunity if you are not a Christian to become a Christian at the end of this meeting. You're either in Christ, and when he sees us, he says, not guilty. I don't see your sins anymore. You're forgiven. You're in Christ. I've taken, it's a great deal because he takes all of our junk and all of our unrighteousness and all of our mistakes, and he says, you're forgiven. And he took the punishment for us, Jesus Christ. He took our sin, and he gave us his righteousness. And it's a great way to live. But we will, at the end of our life, um, we will, at the end of our life, stand before the Lord and give an account for what we've done. But I used to think it was this judgment seat. But the word is actually in the Greek, like in the Olympics. The Bema seat was like the judge's podium that after you run a race, you know how you get a gold medal, a bronze medal, and a, or silver medal, bronze medal? That's more than imagery. And, they, and it says you will get this crown. I used to you know, have these pictures of this big crown with jewels. The crown is like that Olympic wreath that says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've, you've run your race to the best of your ability. You're not guilty for your sin. Now come and receive your reward. And that's great news. But if you don't, build your life or you don't build the church with that in mind, we can spend a lot of time doing things. And I've unfortunately stood with people at the end of their life who had all these regrets that said, man, I wish I would have started doing this younger or more. We all have this opportunity. And it's not a heavy thing because God blesses us and rewards us and brings riches. Some of y'all are probably looking at me now going, dude, I just want to be here I just like the music, man, and my wife made me come. What, am I, what did I get into here? But with Jesus, it is an all or nothing thing. But the good thing is, is his ways are better than our ways. His, when we build God's house, you give money. I think it's important to say that. You know, Pastor Jeff didn't tell me to say that, but I'm just saying it. It's like, it's important to sow. Even unbelievers know this. Even I raise money for nonprofit stuff, and I get it from unbelievers sometimes, because they, they, everybody knows, you know, like it's part of living is just sacrificing a little income for the house of God or for some cause. It's, it's part of our DNA. So you might not feel comfortable with that, but it is part of it. It's our time, our talents, and our treasures. It's everything we have. It's all or nothing. It's not Sunday, two hours. It's, it's all the time that Jesus wants us. But let me just tell you, the rewards, the Bible says, on this side of eternity, and the other side of eternity are for far greater than you'll ever, ever understand on this side. So I just want to encourage us this morning to be builders of God's church, builders of God's house, and to know that he will bless you as we build his church. Amen? All right, let's stand up. I don't know if we can worship for a minute, but before we um, have a moment of worship, I just want to say, if you don't know Jesus this morning, and maybe this is your first time, or you've been coming for a while and you don't understand it, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity before we begin to sing to come up and, and, and pray with me, or raise your hand. You don't have to even come up. You can just raise your hand. 
And the way I want to do this is just to kind of explain to you first, and then we're all going to pray to a uh, prayer of salvation. And basically it's this, like I said, we were all born sinners. We all born with a flaw. We all make mistakes. We, we are predisposed predisp to making bad decisions, I guess you'd say. At some point, it may not even be, you might be a really good, highly moral person, but we still have bad thoughts and we occasionally have bad actions. And you know, some of you might say, I'm not an ax murderer. I don't, you know, sacrifice chickens. I'm not in the occult. That's good. Those are all good things, but we all make mistakes and if we, we, we're flawed because of that. And the Bible calls us sin and it sounds heavy, but it is. And, but the good news is Jesus came and said, I will take your sin and I will pay for it once for all, for all time and for all eternity. And I'm gonna make you righteous and I'm gonna take your junk and I'm gonna give you my righteousness. And we, we have uh, what's a different, people call it different things. We're saved or a born again experience because we're spiritually dead. And when we say yes to Jesus, I accept and believe that that is the gospel, that that is the truth. It doesn't quite make sense, but by faith, I'm gonna take a step of faith and believe it. He'll cleanse us, he says, and he, his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of us. And he begins to change us. And for years, I always thought I had to be a better person. I thought, I can't do this Christian thing, man. It's not gonna work for me. Well, it didn't. And that's why I was frustrated for seven years. I tried to be, do better works and good things and I couldn't do it. But once I became a Christian and I asked Jesus to come into my heart, the Spirit of God began to transform and change things and things that used to be fun were not fun anymore. And I began to be more and more like Jesus. 